Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Nashville Life. It's if you're first time here, I'm Alvin. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm so honored that you spent this afternoon with us. I pray it's a good time for you, and not just a good time, but a transformative time. I try to respect your, your time, and I want to make this worth it. I, you know, if you guys are here for an hour and a half, let's, let's make the most of it. Let's do some, some heart work. God wants to do some major heart work in all of us so that we can leave uh, not only different but better. Um, so before we get into it, I want to do our, our pre-word declaration. I'm going to ask you to repeat these words after me. We like to do this before the message. So, so say this. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, thank you. Um, we are in the fifth month of 2021. We are in the month of uh, May. It's the month of May. Um, and uh, we got a new series for y'all. Uh, a lot of good things are happening I feel like our church is advancing at a rapid pace. We're growing, um, not only numerically, but internally. Uh, there's been a lot of hard work that's been done uh, over the past 12 weeks during our semester together. And I just really believe in the forward motion that's happening in this church. For us individually, I've been talking to a lot of you guys individually, a lot of personal growth, a lot of growth in your uh, your careers, professionally, you're growing. Some of you guys are growing uh, numerically in your families. Babies are being born. People are expecting. Uh, there's just a lot of growth, and I love it. And I, the reason why I can say that with confidence is because that is a trajectory for everybody who's in Christ. God is always advancing his people since the days of Abraham to now. If you look, you will see the people of God are always advancing forward and outward and spreading. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, Nashville Life, year after year, we have been entrusted new people to this community to steward and to faithfully lead and to care for. And scripture says, if you're faithful over the few, he'll give you more. And I'm really honored as a pa the pastor of this church and just a member of this church to say that every year God is entrusting us with more people. And uh, the reason why I think he's entrusting us is because we're faithful to our vision, which is following Jesus, building leaders. Everything that Nashville Life does is, is to do these two things, is to follow Jesus and to develop, to build leaders. And I think we do this for two reasons, for the glory of God and for the benefit of people. And I say for the benefits of people because Jesus is an incredible benefit. He is the greatest benefit you could ever experience. He is a, a beneficial addition to your life. Dare I say he is life. He is, scripture says that he's better than life. Like imagine being better than life. Jesus is that. He is, uh, he is a healer. He's a, he's a baptizer. He's a redeemer. He's full of mercy. He's always forgiving us 
over and over again, and he still has a whole lot more uh, left in him of mercy. His mercy endures forever, Scripture says. He's a refresher. He's an equipper. He empowers us. He's an incredible teacher. He teaches us. He makes men better men. He makes women better women. He makes employers better employers. He makes employees better employees. He makes students better students. Jesus is a changer for the better. He changes us all, no matter what stage of life we are in. If we incorporate Jesus into our lives, and if we yield to him, whatever stage we are in, we will see him change us for the better. So I truly believe that offering Jesus is for the benefit of the people. And then the secondly, it's for the glory of God. And the reason why I say the glory of God is because when God's people benefit, well, God's people step into their benefits and they improve and the transformation and the fruit that comes with Jesus, when God's people are doing well, it reflects well on God. So when, the, when Jesus' followers shine, it glorifies Jesus. It makes him look great. When we progress, there are people currently who believe in Jesus strictly because the transformation they saw in one of you. Like, I used to know... <laughs> Amy, and, and now, wow, what did that, hey, because her growing, because of her excelling and advancing, it causes people to believe in Jesus. It glorifies God. So keep growing, Amy. Keep doing it. Keep going. All of you all, keep progressing. Keep advancing. Because as you continue to advance, as you continue to, to produce the fruit of God, it glorifies him and causes people to say, you know what? If God did that, if God made that transformation for Alvin, especially the way he used to be, okay, let's go. Sign me up. So that's, that's the way this works. As God's people are blessed, we then become blessings to other people. And that's happening at Nashville Life. It's been happening for years, but I really believe it's happening in increasing measure. And, and it's exciting for me to see it's really exciting. I've told someone who just joined our church that this is a very exciting time to be a part of what's happening. We're, we're moving into a new space. We're moving into an a, a earlier time, multiple services. Like, God is about to really expand what's happening here. Um, and this is not a new thing. It's new for Nashville Life. Obviously, we've only been around for nine years. But this has been God's vision for the church from the very beginning. And I, I guess you can call this month a kind of prophetic month. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this is a prophetic month. This is not kind of. It is. And, and it's, it's, it's prophetic because God is advancing us to something that he envisioned so long ago. And the, and the scriptures, when Jesus was speaking to the beginning of the church, when the church was first established, he gave some really exciting news to the church. He says, I'm going to give you all the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom are, are keys from heaven. They're figurative keys. Um, I, I don't have physical keys um, for heaven. But there is a, it's a figurative key that unlocks heaven on earth. The things of heaven, the things of God, the things of righteousness through these keys are, are unlocked for us to experiencing them for them for us to experience them here on earth. And and God has given the church these keys. He's given us 
total access to every resource, every revelation, every character trait, every, every provision, every uh, financial need, every supernatural need he has given to the church. And this is an amazing honor, but we also know scripture says, to much is given, much is required, which is where I come in. So much of my messages are speaking to the responsibility that has been given to us that comes with this incredible honor of having the keys of the kingdom. So when he was given this, this, this key, this figurative key to the church, he, he gives the whole, uh, uh, he talks about all the access and all the advancement and this invincible nature that the, that, uh, that the church is going to have because of these keys. And then he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So, yes, amen, but I wonder what made, what made him bring up hell? I mean, we're talking about heaven, we're talking about righteousness and advancement and growth, all of this heavenly talk. What do you think compelled Jesus to bring up the gates of hell? He says they won't prevail against the church. Scripture says the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, which means the gates of hell will try to prevent the church. Webster's definition of prevail is to gain ascendancy through strength or superiority, to triumph. So, so if the gates of hell will not prevail, then chances are, and most of us can attest personally, that though the gates of hell don't prevail, they try to, which is what we call resistance. This is what we call resistance. Jesus assured that the weapons formed against the church would not prosper, but he also assured us that the weapons against the church would be formed. It's good news, guys, to know that no weapon formed against the church will prosper, but it's also very essential news to know that the weapons against the church and the weapons against us will be formed. As our community continues to advance, not just as individuals, but as a collective, I think it's only right that we teach about something that is very necessary to our advancement as the church, both individually for your families, for your marriage, but also for us as a collective, and that is war. I'm going to talk about war a lot this month. The series title for May is Fight Forward. Fight Forward is the series topic for this month. As long as there is resistance to advancement, the fight is necessary. As long as there is resistance to your advancement as a person, your advancement as a couple, your advancement as a family, your advancement as a business, your advancement as a community, as long as there is resistance, the fight is necessary. Everyone say that. The fight is necessary. Now, none of us like fighting in and of itself. But it's one thing to 
not like it, but also know it's necessary. There's many people who understand this when it comes to working out. A lot of people don't like it, but they realize that if I'm going to be healthy, it is necessary. There are certain things in life as we become adults, we have to graduate from only doing what we like and move into doing what we know is necessary. That's what separates men from boys. Boys still only do what they like. But men step into a place where they do what is necessary. That is a difference between a child and an adult. And God is raising up leaders at this church. He's raising up adults in this church. Almost like basketball, as long as there is resistance to your team scoring points, war and a fight is necessary. And in sports, we call it offense and defense, but essentially it's a fight. Now, if there was no team against us trying to prevent us from scoring, then there would be no need for a fight. You could just shoot. You could just shoot all day. Shoot. Shoot. There's no one trying to stop you. As long as there is an opposing team trying to prevent you from scoring points, offense and defense is necessary. Look at a team that has horrible defense. They're not a good team. Because now if there was no one, if they were, if they were just playing themselves and no one was against them, they'd be fine. You could have a strong offense and that's all you need. But if as long as there's another team that's sole purpose is to stop you from scoring, you've got to learn defense. And church, it's important for us to know that this is not just a game of, of, of horse. We're not just shooting, shooting baskets and going, this is so much fun. I love the church. Oh, wow, we're just scoring left and right. There is another team that is dedicated. They actually rehearse and practice they have their own practices, practicing to make sure that they can do all in their power as a team to stop you from scoring. And a church that is ignorant of this is in bad shape. One of my favorite passages that got me through a lot in my life when I first started walking with the Lord consistently, I lived in Australia and my pastor always uh, taught on this or reminded me of this, and it stuck with me. And it's in the book of Judges, chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. It says, Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, that is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was so, the, so he did this, he left he left nations in their camp, and this is the reason. This was only so that my page is out of order. There we go. This was only that generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war. God had to teach Israel to know war. Why? Because if you are in the game and you don't realize that there's a team against you, you're going to be ill-equipped. Imagine a basketball team that had no idea they were playing against anybody else. And they got on the court, they were suited up, they, they had their jerseys on, they practiced their drills, and they go, who are these people in a different color t-shirt? 
oh, oh, I didn't tell y'all y'all are fighting another team. No one told us that we were fighting. I thought we, that's how the church is in a lot of cases. We get out here and then we're surprised that there is another team wearing a different color t-shirt that has been practicing all week to stop you from scoring. And God is a good father. He doesn't want his children ignorant. He doesn't want his children going, whoa, there's another team. So he had to train them for war. He said, there is a war. Yes, I have given you the keys. Yes, I have given you the promised land. Yes, this is yours. You will have dominion. You will conquer. But you're going to have to conquer another team. So scripture says, even when they enter the promised land, that God left pockets of the enemy nations, not to destroy them, but to train them and teach them to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. So here's the thing. With every generation, you have to learn war because these guys, they were babies when, when, when Israel was delivered out of Egypt. So they only heard about the battle stories of their fathers and their grandparents. They had heard legends and stories of war, but they never experienced it themselves. So here comes this new generation that has no idea what war is. They don't know how to fight. They've never been through anything. So God, God is the kind of father that sees this as a problem. Parents, God is a father that thinks it's a problem if their kids don't know how to handle resistance. I know you want to protect your children. I know you don't want them to experience anything bad. But guys, learn from the father. The father knew that if these kids don't understand resistance, if they don't know how to fight battles, they will be ill-equipped for the promises that I have for their lives. We must learn how to father from the one who did it right, God the Father. God is a father that protects his children from harm. So it's right to be a protector, but he does not protect them from resistance. God protects his children from harm, but not from resistance. Because if you don't know how to handle resistance, then you're just as good as dead anyway. So don't be so protective to where they don't know how to fight battles. Because what's going to happen is when life comes and they realize, oh, my God, there's a team that's assigned against me. If we protect them from every battle, from every resistance, how will they be prepared? God understood this. There was a privileged generation that, that didn't have to experience any of the battles. They didn't have to experience any of the warfare. And God says, oh, that's not going to work. These kids, they won't last a day in the promised land. So he intentionally left enemy nations to give them, to get their feet wet of learning, okay, this is what a sword is. Okay, so this is what a, a shield is. This is what a helmet is. This is, this, is how you, this is how you do. They had no idea how to do this. So even though we're advancing, we're advancing with the knowledge that there is resistance to our advancement. And God is calling us to know what to do when that time comes, which is why I'm spending all five weeks on this, because we will be a church that when resistance comes, 
We're not in a fetal position wondering what happened. The Bible says, think it not strange when bad things are happening, when you're struggling, when you have resistance. Don't think it's strange. It doesn't mean you made a wrong turn. It means you're probably right on the path of the promise. God raises his people to be conquerors, so he trained them for war. How can you be a conqueror if you don't want to fight? We're claiming the conqueror status. Conquer means that you conquered, like you, 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 you beat the opponent. So if we're going to be conquerors, we must be trained to fight. So that when the weapons against us are formed, we can fight and they will not prevail against us. So I'm here to enlist all of us. In case you didn't know, you're in a war. In case no one told you, you're in a war for your life. Literally for your life. I promise I'm not being dramatic. I promise I'm not, over, I'm not overdoing it. I'm actually underdoing it. Because I don't want to freak anybody out. But guys, the war against your life is more real than any of us realize, including me. There's a great quote from the book called The Art of War. And it says, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You will lose every battle. If you don't know yourself, we're going to talk in three weeks about knowing yourself and the role that we play in this. Because it's not all the devil, by the way. Some of us hurt our own selves. That we make the we, we almost like uh, when we play ultimate frisbee sometimes, and like you you forget where your end zone is and you score for the other team. We do that sometimes. We like score for the other team. Devil's like, thanks, y'all. Y'all made it easy on me. So we play a role in this, but we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that soon. Um, there is a a church that was advancing just like Nashville Life is advancing. But this church is way older than Nashville Life. This church was around centuries before us. Uh, This is the church of Ephesus. The church of Ephesus. Ephesus is a a city. It's located currently where, it was located where Turkey is now, is around that area. And it was a place called Ephesus, and there was a church there. And this was around the very beginning of Christianity. And like us, the church was uh, made of men and women. It was made of married people and single people. There were children. There were teenagers. There were seniors. Uh, there were people who worked high-paying jobs. There were some who were maybe even under minimum wage. There, there was a, a wide range, but there, there was, it was an amazing experience because though they were totally different, they had one thing in common, and they believed in Jesus. 
look around here. It sounds like we're a little bit like the church of Ephesus. I mean, it's such a wide range of people, and our only common ground really is that we believe in Jesus. And that's a good thing. Guys, sometimes we have to remind ourselves, churches back in the day were churches of a city. So it wasn't like, I don't know, we have different ways of kind of distinguishing what makes a church this and this. And I'm not saying I'm, ha- I'm upset that there's multiple churches, but it's important for us to know that if we're different and our only common ground is Christ, this isn't a groundbreaking concept. We're not the pioneers that we think we are, even though it feels like it in Nashville sometimes. But the church has been a random crew of people that the common ground is their belief in Jesus. That's how the church started. So this is not new. There's nothing new under the sun. But it's also great, but it's not new. Ephesus was rolling just like this. So they had been commissioned just like us by the Holy Spirit to go and make disciples. And they had been given the keys of the kingdom just like us. So we have a lot in common. So that's why it's great to read uh, the letters to the churches because you'd be amazed at how much we're related. There's so many parallels. So let's read what Paul said to them and see if it applies to us. Verse 17 through 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So Paul is praying a prayer that I pray for us all the time is that we would get a glimpse of the hope of our calling. Paul was dealing with people that still didn't understand just how massively miraculous and incredible and grand God's call for their lives was. And he said, oh, I just pray that you would get it. I would pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would understand just how amazing this is. Guys, God's calling for your life is is bigger than you. It's even bigger than your nuclear family. It's bigger than me and four and no more, our own household. This is a calling that's going to spill over beyond your nuclear family. It's going to go into your kids and then your kids' friends. And through your kids' friends, their parents will get it. And through their kids' parents, their parents' boss will get it. Like, guys, this is so beyond. We've got to take the cap off of the calling that God has for our lives. Yes, he wants to bless your family, but God forbid that's all he does. God forbid the only people who are saved is my wife and kids. That's like five people max. What the heck? Guys, it's through the kids And they'll go to school, and then the teacher will, and they'll pray for their teacher, and the teacher will go and talk to their husband, and their husband will get saved, and then the husband will go to his work and his employees. Guys, we have no idea just how infinite the potential. Guys, he gives us the keys of the kingdom. We have access to do whatever we want for the kingdom of God. We can make this spread everywhere. If we wanted to, we can make this spread the entire city. Do you guys know that an entire city repented and fasted? The city of Nineveh. 
One man brought the gospel and the entire city repented. The entire city, not just the neighborhood, not just the block, not just the women's group, the whole city. Which is why we have to read the Bible. The Bible saves us from our limited scope. The Bible saves us from small town thinking when having a large universal God. The Bible keeps us from limiting how grand the calling is on your life. And Paul said, I just pray y'all would get it. I don't know if he was whining like that. But he said, I just pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened and you would understand the hope of the calling that is on y'all's life. Let's keep going. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Even then they were limiting how powerful God was on their behalf. He said, I'm praying that you would understand what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Y'all, he's milking it. He's letting us know. He is trying to make us, he wants to make it so explicitly clear of just how powerful God is. And every name that is named He's so so thorough, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So not only the names that are during this time of Ephesus, but y'all, even names that are going to be existing way back in 2021. 2021, that's actually going to be a year. Yes, it's going to be a year. Even in 2021, the names are going to still be under Jesus. He was letting them know way back in the first century that even names that will exist in 2021 will be subjected to Jesus. And he was saying that he was trying to make the scope so big so that this town of Ephesus could go, oh, wow, maybe God is really great. Maybe he really does want to do great things through us. Are y'all still with me? All right. Verse 22 through 23. And he put all things under his feet, all things, and gave him to be the head over all things. Again, he's trying to make it so clear, guys. There is not a single thing on this wor- in this world that is not under the feet of Jesus. There's not a single school of thought. There is not a single disease. There is not a single addiction. There is not a single irreconcilable difference. There isn't a single thing that is not under the name of Jesus. And this was something that Ephesus probably heard before, but Paul says, no, it's not in y'all's heart yet. Y'all are hearing this, but it's, it's not there. He said, I'm praying that it gets here. A lot of us have, yeah, Jesus is Lord of all, King of kings, Lord of lords. We have it here. But the minute we receive resistance or a challenge or a mountain, we forget because it's not here. Paul says, I'm praying that it gets here. 
I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. The church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. Jesus says we have the keys of the kingdom. We have access to heaven itself. Every supernatural blessing we have the keys to. Like, you know how you have the keys to your house right now? It's in your purse, in your pocket, and everything inside your house you have access to? Even though it's hard to imagine as literal as you have keys to everything in your house, Jesus says you have keys to everything in heaven. And his prayer, that's why he used the word keys, because he wanted us to realize the parallel. Just like you've got keys to your car, you've got keys to heaven. I'm trying to speak in the language. Jesus is trying to speak in the language that people understand. Well, I understand keys. All I do is turn it, and I go to the kitchen, and I do all these things. Okay. So you're telling me it's like that with heaven? Jesus is like, yes. Yes, you have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's why Paul says we don't get it. Even now, it's like, for real? Surely, surely this is heresy. This guy, I don't know about this guy. He's talking about having keys. Ah. But what does that mean? Well, I know he said that, but he, watch it. Remember I told y'all last week, the originator of the logic of God didn't really mean what he said was the devil. The devil was the first person that brought that logic of, yeah, I know he said that, but he didn't really mean it. So if you're entertaining and if your theology is built on stuff like that, it might not be as holy as you think it is. Are y'all okay? Okay, so... The church has been, this is what we know according to the word. The church has been sanctioned by God and appointed by Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit. What could be against us? I'll tell you. As long as there is resistance to advancement, war is necessary. So though these enemies will not prevail, they are trying, guys. They've got their drills. They've got their plays. They've got their deceptive, they, they, got, they, got, they, they have a playbook. They actually meet with their coach. And he goes, okay, this is how you're going to get them. All right, in 2020, there's going to be this election. And let's, 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 let's pull to the insecurities everybody has and, and, and really, really play on their competitive thing. And, and, and they're going to think it's godly. And, and what they're going to do is they're going to start hating each other. This is the playbook. This is the playbook. And again, if we don't understand that there's an enemy, you'll just be shooting, just doing all these things. Opposed to real, Paul says, I am not ignorant of the enemy's devices. Because if you're ignorant, you will fall for every trick that they have planned for us. Ephesians 6. Okay, so same letter, same church. Verse 1 was about you guys are going to go so far. You're going to do all these amazing things. The hope of your calling is grand. You're going to win all of the nations. Oh, praise God. You're unstoppable. You're unlimited. 
And then verse 6 says, but there is a war. It's just like in the Old Testament. He said, here's the promised land, the land of milk and honey. And they get there and they go, who are these people ready to kill us? He goes, oh, yeah, (laughs) there's a war too. They're like, we thought we were just going to ease up in here. He goes, no, I've got to train y'all to fight because I don't want y'all to be (laughs) useless. I want y'all to have a backbone. I want you guys to be warriors. And you can't train to be a warrior without fighting. So there you go. That's the father that we have. That's the father of God, father heart of God. He trains us so that we can be useful and we can be strong. You don't get strong unless you understand resistance. Name a single time that you've worked out and it was a legitimate workout and there was no resistance. That's the whole point. You actually sign up and pay how many dollars a month at your gym to encounter resistance. Because we understand that if I'm going to have any more muscle than this spaghetti that I've got now, then it's got, I've got to encounter resistance. I've got to sweat. I've got to voluntarily give myself to a resistance atmosphere so that I can gain abs for the summer. You know, like, like that's, that's, we understand this in the physical. We understand this. We pay money. Some of us are paying lots of money to hurt (laughs) and to have resistance because we understand that if not lifting weights, I won't be able to lift anything and I won't have any definition. I won't have a form. I won't have shape. But when it comes to the spirit, guys, it's the same thing. We have to encounter resistance. And God is so kind that he allows it. He allows resistance to stay in our lives, not because he hates us, not because he's mean, but he wants us to have some muscle. We're representing him. He's strong, and we're representing him. And we, Y'all can't represent me like that. Y'all got to get some definition. You got to get some strength. This is a good father, y'all. It might not be the father that we're used to, but he's a good one. Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong. How do you get strong, guys, in the natural? Lifting weights, resistance. So he says, be strong in the Lord and in in, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Armor? What does armor have to do with God's blessings in my life? What does honor have to do with my, my, like my kids being protected? What, is, what does armor have to do with, with, with my finances? What does armor have to do with the love of God? What does armor have to do with, with unmerited favor on my life? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Who's he? There's another team. As dedicated as you are to fulfilling, the God, fulfilling God's will in your life, there is a team that is equally and dare I say even more dedicated than some of us to keeping you from experiencing God's will for your life. I looked up while in the Webster's definition, uh, dictionary. 
while it's a trick or stratagem intended to ensnare or deceive. So he either wants to trap you to where you can't get out and you're stuck, or he wants to deceive you to where you're just running down the wrong way and thinking that it's right. One of the two. He either wants to keep you stuck or he wants to set you free on the wrong path. Some of us have been liberated in the wrong direction, and we just swear we're going south, and we're going north. We're just free. I can't wait to get to California. And then we see Maryland City uh, State Yard, State Line. But we're so liberated and going towards Maryland thinking they were about to hit the West Coast. The devil loves that. He wants you to be deceived to where you're freely running, just as light as a feather, no cares in the world, and going the wrong way, or he wants you stuck to where you can't get anywhere. One of the two. War is all about deceptive strategies. The, be- the more deceptive the strategy, the better the war plan. Some of you guys who play football and basketball, if you look at plays, all the plays are built to where the team doesn't see it coming. That's the whole point of a play. It's like, oh, man, I thought it was, oh, man, where did they come? Oh, boom, touchdown. Like, war strategies are built to be deceptive. Sports strategies are meant to be deceptive. It's to make the team not expect it. They're coming thinking that you're going to go this way because they watched the playbook, but they watched the last games, the few months, and they, they, they know that team number 24 uh, always does this. So the team goes, they're going to be banking on team, uh, team member 24 doing that, so I'm going to put you over here, and they're not going to see it coming. And the team was like, oh, yes, they're not going to know what's coming. And sure enough, it works because they, they were prepared for him to go this way, and then he goes this way, and he fakes them out, and they score. That's how the enemy works with us. He, I've said this before, guys, we've got to graduate from a level of discernment to where he's got to be in a pitchfork and horns in a Halloween costume for you to believe that it's the devil. We've got to graduate from that, y'all. We are still waiting to see him in plain, plains view. Hi, I'm the devil. Let me get into your house. Like some of us are, some of us are walking, are living with that level of discernment. Men, some of you all are still living in that level of discernment for your house. You are still living at a level of discernment to where if it's not saying, "Hey, I'm the devil," can we be friends? Then, then you're 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 tricked. It's deceptive strategies. He plays on your weaknesses. He knows what you like. He knows when your guard is down. He knows your open areas. He knows the vulnerable parts of your thought life. He knows the, the those sensitive parts of your past. And he's low down. He doesn't have rules. You know, etiquette is like if you know that someone's arm is broken, you don't like hit him in the arm. He's the kind of guy, the devil's the kind of guy that, that hits you where he knew you broke your arm. He's mean. He's mean. He does the parts that you go, no one would do that. Surely, I mean, come on. That, that's, how, that's how I lost my best friend. He will use it. Guys, be encouraged. 
War isn't a sign that there is no hope. War is a sign that there is. If you didn't actually have a shot at scoring, there will be no need for someone to guard you. If you didn't actually have a shot, if you didn't actually have a shot to hit that ball, that baseball, out the corner of the field, there will be no outfielders there positioned specifically for he might throw it out here. So if there's a person way out in left field at the corner ready for your ball, be encouraged because that means there's a chance that you might actually hit it out there. Some of us are those players. Let's be honest. I'm that player. When it's my turn, outfielder comes in. He's not going to hit it out there. So let's just come in. If you don't have a shot, there's no resistance. Don't be the believer that the enemy takes a break when you're around. Don't be the believer that he goes, oh, he's not going to do nothing. Let's, let's get lunch. Alvin's here. Let's get lunch. Skies, don't be the player that when it's your turn to bat, the enemy th- thinks he can take a nap. If there is a war against your life, if there is resistance in your life, if the enemy is on play, ready, ready to stop you, that's a sign that you actually have a chance. And if you're alive, you've got a chance. If you are living this very moment, you've got a chance. And because you have a chance, because you actually have a chance to break through death and into life, to break through darkness and into God's marvelous light, to to break through barrenness into something that is fruitful and earth-shaking, you've got people on your post ready to guard you, ready to try to block every shot. And the cool thing about it is, guys, is we can play with him guarding us knowing that nothing that he will do will prosper. But you got to fight. If you forfeit the fight, then that's why, that's why forfeiting games is weird because, like, they won, but they didn't even fight. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. Like, when, when you forfeit a game, it's a victory, but technically they didn't conquer you. You just didn't fight. And there's a lot of Christians who are forfeiting. So it's not that God's will wasn't true. It was if you actually fought, you would win. If you actually fought, you would experience the victory. But so many of us, for whatever reason, are not even fighting. And then when the enemy takes over us, we go, see, God's word wasn't true. Because he told me that that no weapon formed against me will prosper. Yeah, but you didn't fight. (laughs) You didn't put up your shield. So when you get hit by a dart 
Instead of going out and put up my shield, we go, see, the Bible's not true. I knew this stuff wasn't real. Uh, God is, you know, that, you know, that it doesn't work that way because I, you know. Meanwhile, we're not fighting. We're forfeiting games. We're forfeiting games. We're not fighting battles. And when you, when you, don't, when you don't fight and it's a forfeit, they won, but they didn't, it wasn't like a real win. Guys, if we just fought, we would realize that God's word is true. I'm almost done. Are y'all okay? I'm going to talk about the tools, and then we'll be done. All right. Verse 13. No, no. Woo. 12. 12. That's a, I mean, all of it's good, but thank you, Jesus. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And this is a good question. Someone asked me, is there wickedness in heaven? In this context, heavenly places means the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. That was a great question. Someone asked me after watching online, is there wickedness in heaven? I was like, no. Like, yes and no. In the heavenly realms right now, yes, evil spirits are roaming around freely in the heavenly realms, in the spirit world. They will all be sentenced to hell on the day of judgment. That day hasn't happened yet. So they're still kind of stealing bases and doing stuff. (laughs) They're still doing stuff. Until the day of judgment when they are finally cast, and, and, that, that, and then the heavens will be free of all enemy stuff. But right now, they're still there. So yes, in the heavenly realms, there is evil. So all the analogies I've been giving you all about teams of other, another team, you know, I'm giving you visuals of, of people, you know, you're wearing blue and they're wearing yellow, whatever. Our team that's against us is not a team of people. It's a team of spirits. It's a team of spirits. Please hear me today. It is not a team of people. He's making it very clear. If you're taking this message and taking it as confirmation from God that you're right to fight against people, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. It's a lie. I knew I was right. Thank you, Jesus. You confirmed. That's how it happens. I got to be careful with y'all sometimes because I'll teach a word and y'all will take it and use it to do something that I did not say do. So just in case any of you guys are using this scripture and this fight as, uh, as fuel to fight the man or a man or a race or a party, No, no, no. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but this is what our war is against. Principalities, powers, rulers in the darkness of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So not only are we in a war, but Paul is so, he said, I'm gonna let you guys know what your war is against because there was probably some of this stuff going on even during then. Just so you know, I'm not talking about fight your, your ex. Your ex is not the enemy. Spiritual weakness is human beings. We've been human beings for a long time. 
Verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on a breast, the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I know this is overwhelming to some of you guys because I know... Let's be honest, some of you guys, this is news that there is, there are fiery darts against you from the spirit world. Some of us have been saved for decades and this is news. And it's not news because no one said it, but it still hasn't reached your heart yet. It still hasn't reached your heart. Um, there are fiery darts being shot at you from a spiritual team that hates you. And it hates you, but also more importantly, it hates the gospel. It hates the good news. And he wants to abort it from your mind. He wants to abort the gospel from your mouth. He wants to abort the gospel from your life. He wants to abort the gospel from your free time, from your me time. He wants to abort the gospel from every part of your life. That's what his, 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 his darts are trying to do. Quench means to extinguish. So every fiery dart, every lie, every temptation that he throws your way, with the shield of faith, you can quench not half of them, not more than last year, all of them. All of them. And guys, I know when we get into the armor talk, we kind of just tune out because it's kind of corny. And, you know, we think of like, when we hear this stuff, we think, a lot of us, you know, oh, look that cute little, look little Henry in his armor costume. He's got his helmet, and he's got his plastic breastplate, and he's got his little sword, and he's walking around. <laughs> like, I believe, that's why I sense, one time when we talk about the armor of God, I still sense that we think of it as, oh, that's cute. Suit up, be a strong warrior for Jesus. Guys, this is so real. It's so gruesome. Guys, without the breastplate of righteousness, you will literally die. Like, die. Die. This is more real than Braveheart. This is more real than any historical war you've ever experienced. This is, because those wars, they at least kill you from, for this life. This is a war that will in you for eternity, your eternity. Like this is such a big deal, guys. This is not just some cute concept of putting on the armor and I'm marching. Like, no, guys, without the helmet of salvation, you will lose your mind. Yeah. Guys, I, I just, I can't stress to you enough Verse 17, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The helmet of salvation, guys, will guard your mind. Guys, do I have to remind us how huge the topic of mental health is today? Do I have to remind you how it's the topic of every, guys, people's minds are under attack. 
people's minds are, 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 are really feeble. People can't even go to work. People can't even go to work. People can't even eat. People can't even take care of their children. Their minds, their minds are under the, the most severe attack. Guys, people are not getting out of bed, not because their legs are broken these days. It used to be a time where you couldn't get out of bed because your legs were broken. Now people are not getting out of bed because of their own heads. They're going to the doctor and they're 100% healthy. But they can't even function because the health of their minds have deteriorated to where they can't even function as adults. Guys, this is not a cute concept. The, the helmet, the breastplate, these things are necessary for life. Amen. Just look around and tell me if the helmet of salvation was a joke. It's real. He will guard your mind. He will guard your mind. When Jesus started to advance forward in his life, he was attacked in his mind. The enemy used lies to try to tempt him in his mind. And, and he picked a time where he was vulnerable. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. And I don't care who you are. If you're a man and you haven't eaten in 40 days, you are vulnerable. And the enemy, he, he, he attacks us when we're vulnerable. Which is why everyone has to know your vulnerable times. Everyone here has to know those vulnerable places for you. Men, you've got to know your vulnerable places. If it's when you're tired, if it's when you're sleepy, if it's, you have to know, if it's after a huge uh, accomplishment, every man needs to understand where their, 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 their blind spots, their, their vulnerable areas, because that's the spot that he uses. The wonderful thing about this battle is that the Lord has promised us victory. But we see in scripture with the Israelites and we see it with the church today that victory does not exempt us from the fight. We've got to get in the game. We've got to be willing to play. We've got to be willing to put ourselves on the battlefield. We've got to be willing to step out. And if we do, the grace of God will accompany you in a way that you had no idea. And you will, you will, you will, uh, almost like uh, the Marvel movies, like when they, like when Spider-Man first got bit, and like he did something that was just, he just tried something, and like it was something amazing. Like, that's how it is. When, when you step out and actually allow yourself to spread the gospel, like, you, you'll be like, oh. Because you'll feel the same. Peter Parker felt the same. It wasn't until he did something. He was like, whoa, the strength. Oh, my God. Like, I did that. So you won't feel different, but you'll go, okay, I'm going to. Uh, Jesus loves you, and he forgave you of your sins. Oh, how did you know? Oh, my God. And the person that you spoke to will have this crazy revelation deliverance. You're like, 
okay. <laughs> uh, uh, John 3.16 says, oh, and you start realizing that just, just the basic things that you know to do, accompanied by the Spirit of God, will now have these amazing heavenly effects. I remember the first time I prophesied. The first time I prophesied, I was, I was so nervous. I was part of this training, and they were teaching us prophesy. And they made us, like, close our eyes. And I was like, I, I don't. And I could have said no. I could have forfeited, right? But I said, okay. And I was like, Lord, I was so scared. And I just knew that it, this was just going to be stupid at best, if not worse, like, really damage somebody. I don't know. So I just started, like, just. I said whatever was on my head. I was like, uh, it didn't feel spiritual at all. But I, but I stepped out, and I went, I see this. This is, this is one of the first picture that was in my head, and I said this picture, and my eyes were closed, and all I did, all I heard was just sobbing on sobbing and sobbing of this woman. And it was, this, it was a picture of this. It felt so stupid, y'all. It was this picture of this field, and there was this baby, and I said, I just see this baby in this field, and I'm sorry. That's all. I literally said, I'm sorry. I was like, I'm sorry. That's all. That's all I see. And I opened my eyes, and this woman was crying. And the pastor came up to me and said, she's been having dreams of a field for three weeks and didn't know why. And that part that you said about the baby was something, something, something. It, like, changed her life. So my, my, my point is... If we just step out and do what we know to do, the grace and the supernatural power of God will, will, will fill in the gap and cause you to accomplish things that will astonish the lives of people around you. Some of us have been discouraged to the point where we have stopped stepping out. We have shut our mouths about the gospel. We've stopped inviting people because the enemy has been in our heads telling you you're wasting your time. But if you would just step out, literally this week, if you step out, you will see the grace of God accompany you in a way that the enemy would work so hard to get you from realizing. So I want to pray. Let's pray. I'm going to ask for us to stand up. Because this is going to be a big month. God is going to train this generation like he did in Judges 3. A lot of us don't know war. We've heard the stories of, of generations before us and the great crusades. You know, I just went to the, the play that a lot of Nashville people were in, Crusade. That was great. The musical, and it was about Billy Graham. And like, we've heard about those stories. But guys, Billy Graham is dead. He's dead. Paul's dead. Peter's dead. It's our time. And if we are ill-equipped to the war, we will forfeit a victory that was ours. So, Father, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus on behalf of this whole church. And, Lord, uh. We thank you. We thank you for being a father that doesn't exempt us from battles. We thank you for being a father that though you protect us from harm and danger, 
you don't protect us from the fight. Lord, it is your desire that we grow up to be warriors like Jesus. People who know how to hear lies from the enemy and fight back with the sword. People who know how to hear discouraging thought or discouraging news and to stand in the midst of it. People who know how to experience a terrible tragedy or a devastation or a disappointment and still continue to press forward. This is the people that you are raising us up to be. So God, we acknowledge your goodness as a father who raises us up to be strong. And I pray, Lord, that every single person here would get a revelation on whatever resistance is happening in their life. If the resistance is in their marriage, help them to see it differently now. If the resistance is in their health, help them to see it differently now. If the resistance is in their finances, help them to see it differently now. Not as a sign that there is no hope, but as a sign that there is a chance. There is a chance for us to advance. Help us to interpret the resistance in our life as encouragement, that there is a chance for us to advance. And Lord, let us not neglect the armor of God. We repent from hearing that scripture and just brushing it off. Time and time again, we hear about the armor and the armor, and we still don't necessarily think that it's needed. I can feel it in the room. A lot of us don't, we still underestimate the necessity of the armor of God. God, so we repent of that, even if we have to recite it every day, whatever we have to do to get it back in our brains that that the helmet of salvation must stay on, otherwise we'll be vulnerable to unbelief. The breastplate of righteousness has to stay on, otherwise our heart will be crushed. The belt of truth must stay on, otherwise we will believe every lie. Our feet must be shod with the gospel of peace, otherwise we will become aimless in our lives. Lord, help us to know just how important the armor is and to use it in this war, in this fight of faith that we're in today. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. Praise God. I've, I've kept you guys longer than, uh, than I like to, um, but this is just the intro into a, a, good, a good month of, 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 of war, training, training. We are being trained to be people of faith in this evil generation. This is a really tough generation, guys, but, but it's not tougher than Jesus. So if you want Jesus right now, if you want the good shepherd, if you want the one who has every every issue under his feet. If you want to have someone in your life that every single possible thing, both seen and unseen, is under his feet, then Jesus is for you. Repeat this prayer after me, and Jesus will enter your life according to your faith. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins 
and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Let's say amen. All right, let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate people receiving Jesus. If you said yes to Jesus, hallelujah. If you said yes to Jesus, let us know. I'm telling you, don't forfeit. Step out. Take a, faith, take a step of faith and, and let somebody know that you said yes to Jesus today if you said it for the first time. And uh, just text yes to Jesus to 77411. We'll be happy to respond with helpful information that will get you started on your journey with Jesus. It's the best journey. It's a journey that trains you. There's some resistance, but hey, that's good. That makes us strong. It gets, gets us definition. So, so say yes to Jesus by, uh, or, or let us know that you said yes to Jesus by texting that. If you want to get more connected to the church, text BELONG to the same number. If you would like to get connected to the church and you've got a few extra minutes, come to Next Steps. We're about to have it right now. Our founding pastors are leading a, a short session of, of Next Steps. They'll let you know about the vision of our church and what we're about. We would love to have you to en enlist you there uh, to, to this, this amazing fight that, that we're doing, that we're in. Um, and if you would like prayer, please come. Uh, we'll have two leaders here that will be happy to pray for whatever you need. If it's healing, if it's something emotional, whatever it is, we'll pray for you. We got you. Otherwise, uh, Go to our website, Nashville Life Church slash prayer, and you can type in your request, and our prayer team will pray for whatever you need prayer for. And then lastly, if you want to give, um, thank you in advance. We have the finance team that's in the middle. You can take, you can put your offering in there. And uh, I love y'all. I'm so happy you're here. And uh, I'll pray. Lord, I think I thank you for this team or this church. Yes, this team as well. We're a team. I thank you for this family. Lord, I thank you for all the people that are here. I pray a blessing over them. I pray your grace and protection over their lives. And I pray, Lord, that you stir up a, a courageous spirit in all of them, Lord, where they will be willing to step out and, and fight against the resistance that's in their lives. Lord, we thank you for this month in advance for all the, the learning and growth that's going to come from this series. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great afternoon, y'all. See ya.